Welcome everyone to the second episode of the BYOS podcast. I'm your host, Parthke Sharma, and I'm really thrilled to be welcoming you to our show. If this is the first time that you're tuning in, this is going to be an eight-episode podcast series in which we're going to be talking about technology. And in the future episodes, we're also going to be having a lot of amazing guests join us here to talk about technology, innovation, um, so much more. So without further ado, let's get started with the episode. Today I have with me another BYOS member and today's co-host for the episode, Rahil Joshi. Hi guys, I'm Rahul Joshi and I'm 17 years old and I am going to be in grade 11 and I'm pretty excited to tell you everything about tech today. Alright, thanks Rahil. So as usual, we're going to be starting off our podcast with the first segment, which is recent tech news in which we're going to be looking at what's happened in the past week, catching up with uh, some major headlines. So let's get started. Alright, so the first news today is actually about a company called Synchron. Have you heard of that company? Synchron? No, never heard of it. No? How about Neuralink? Yeah, yeah. Neuralink is, you know, Elon Musk's brain kind of company, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, those two companies are actually pretty similar. So, Synchron is actually this 20-person biotech firm. So, it's pretty small compared to Neuralink. Mm -hmm. And actually, Synchron just beat Elon Musk's Neuralink in getting an okay from the FDA. So basically it means that they can do human trials now on people and test their their stuff on people. Right, FDA you mean the Food and Drugs Administration, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, Okay, so they just they got... They need to approve everything that goes inside the body and out and stuff like that. This brain data transfer company, they're called Synchron, they actually developed a commercial brain chip. And it kind of looks like a round mesh kind of thing that goes inside um, your brain nerves. Imagine you're in front of a MacBook screen and you want to click something, but you have paralysis, so you can't do that. So basically what they want to do is insert this thing and basically allow them to use computers, check their emails, and basically do things without moving their limbs and only their thoughts. Right. Okay, so they're allowing wireless control of external devices by just thinking about what they want to do, right? Yeah. And I think two people in Australia have already implanted it and this is this is really insane, but they can even text, write word documents, and check emails already with this product inside their heads. Yeah, if you actually go to their website, there's a YouTube video on that one Australian guy. He can't move, so he can't use his hands. And he actually checks his Gmail, does his work, che- uh, texts on WhatsApp and everything wow, just wow. by thinking. That's, that's really cool. I mean, when, I wonder when it's going to be available uh, for normal consumers to buy and use. Probably not too close... Um, in the future, but I, I can't wait for that because it personally, like sometimes when I'm, you know, like about to sleep at night and then I remember I, I got to like text somebody, I feel like I wish I could just control my phone with my head, but hopefully that'll happen in the future. And by the way, uh, this news has just been released within 24 hours. And our second tech news for today is also something that we just received 21 hours ago. So the second news is that Tesla has just announced that they're opening their superchargers to other EV cars. So actually Elon Musk tweeted about this um, saying that we're gonna open supercharges to other EV cars and later this year it's going to be real simple and some people actually speculate it's going to be some extension or dongle. Let's talk how it's gonna be beneficial to the EV market. 
what do you think? Like, is it going to be uh, overall? Is it going to be beneficial or or not for Tesla? Well, I think it's going to be beneficial for the consumer and Tesla, because the main problem with EV cars right now is that they're not with normal cars. There are petrol pumps everywhere, but not with electronic cars. So I think it's going to be great for everyone. But for Tesla, it's also going to be good for them, because they get paid for you know allowing these other companies to make the dongles. Oh, got it. So they kind of charge companies to let them use their charging station, right? Yeah. And I guess one more good thing is that Elon Musk's, you know, whole vision is to kind of accelerate the advent and allowing other electronic uh, car companies to use supercharging. It really it allows much more easily allows more companies to start up. However, you know, this is definitely also very risky for Tesla. Uh, for the same reason, because more competition will arise, more EV car companies will be created because you know EV car companies already have a charging station at their disposal. If this is the case, and so will there be a lot more competition for Tesla or not? I mean, I think of course there's gonna be more competition because the company doesn't need to worry about like I don't know having their own charger, um, confirming all their electronics. But I think because of the dynamic pricing they have. So different companies pay different amounts based on their electronic car specifications. I think it's gonna be beneficial for Tesla because they can raise the price up for some company or down for some company. So I think it's beneficial in the long run for them. Quite a move that sometimes companies won't take. You know, helping other companies to access something that they have made. But in those terms, Elon Musk does seem to be at times very like selfless. Um, but let's see. Maybe there's some other motive behind that that we don't see. So that's it for the recent tech news this time. We didn't have much time to talk about more because today's second segment is going to be a really exciting one for new listeners. In this segment, we kind of pick major tech concepts in the world that are really exciting, really new.、Uh, however, ones that people don't really understand as well as they should. And today, we're going to be talking about something that could arguably be the most interesting technological concept. In the modern era, quantum mechanics. Wow, that's a pretty, pretty, pretty huge topic to talk about. Not only tech, but it's a huge topic in science too right now. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. Quantum physics is something that's barely understood by anybody. In fact, the only people that understand it more than seventy percent are only a handful of. Really qualified professors. So in this segment, we're gonna be equally as confused as you about certain details, but we're still excited about discussing as much as we can and making making as much of it as we can. Well, I was watching a YouTube video and researching for this podcast, and it was quite confusing indeed. It took me what like two three weeks to understand one concept. Wow. Well, we're gonna have to do a pretty good job of <laughs> explaining it to the listeners. In the simplest terms. Uh, quantum physics is a branch of physics that that deals with very very tiny things at the scale of subatomic particles and atoms. So, in more detail, let's talk about the specific theory called the parallel universe theory, or the multiverse theory, or the many worlds theory. There are a lot of names, but it basically means that several realities can exist at the same time, and that there is another version of us, possibly. Somewhere else and in some other reality. So I know it sounds like that's just a bunch of Marvel stuff, but many physicists actually believe this theory, and it comes from thinking deeply at what happens on that tiny, tiny scale of quantum physics. It's it's not just made up because it sounds cool and mystic. 
the first thing we have to understand is the reality at that atomic level is not the reality that we live in. It's very fuzzy and confusing. And it starts with one fact that we know for sure, and it's very important to understand this, is that tiny quantum particles or quantum atoms, electrons, photons, they can exist in more than one place at a time. And this is known as quantum superposition. These quantum particles, they basically coexist, but until, until a device observes them, and then suddenly they become localized, means they stop at coexisting. So here's an example to understand it better. So let's imagine that I am a quantum particle, right? And then you want to find where I am. Let's say that I'm, there's a 70% chance that I'm at my house, a 20% uh -huh. chance that I'm at my friend's house, okay. and there's a 10% chance that I'm at a mall. And according to quantum physics and its laws, before you go looking at me at any of these places, I will be at all the places at the same time. But the instant you come to one of those places and look for me, I'm only going to be at that one place. So let's say you come to find me at a mall and I'm not there. Well, I will be at the house, but nowhere else, if that makes sense. Okay, so you're saying that the simple act of looking for a quantum particle causes the particle to to only be at one specific place, not at all simultaneously. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Well, that does sound unbelievable. And I want to link this now to another extremely famous experiment that also revolves around quantum particles changing their behavior when they're observed. And this is called the double slit experiment. And honestly, whenever I go back to this experiment, I'm equally blown away by the findings. So imagine that there is this, this plastic or cardboard sheet with two cutouts, two rectangular slits. And it's placed in between a wall and a machine. And that machine fires one electron at a time. And so what they did in the experiment was that they fired one electron at a time through those two openings in that sheet. And so what happened was, instead of two clean slits forming on the wall, which you would expect, around 10 to 15 slits formed even on places where the electron was blocked from reaching. 10 to 15, that's a lot, from two slits. Yeah. However, once the experimenters put a camera next to the slit, like a, a general camera, then the pattern changed to only two slits. Then the electrons started behaving normally when the camera was placed. So strange as it may sound, interference can only occur when no one is watching. That pattern can only occur when no one is watching. And as soon as an observer begins to watch the particles going through the openings, then the pictures changes dramatically. Because think about this, if an electron can be seen going through one opening, then it clearly didn't go through the other. So yeah. when under observation, electrons are being forced to behave in another way. And so observation really heavily affects findings in quantum experiments. Wait, so there was two in the like so there was a lot in the beginning from those two slits and as soon as you put a camera or a person watching it, it changes to two. Yes. What? Sound that sounds like a movie, but it's true, I guess. So basically in general, this coexistence of atoms is a reason why multiple universes, many worlds and dimensions can ex exist at the same time. And the main problem and obstacle being about the observation Whenever scientists try to observe and get the results, it changes because of quantum mechanics. And that's why we haven't made much progress, is because whenever there is an observer involved, the results change, 
and we can't get the concrete answer and we actually have no concrete solution to get what we want. Right. So now let's talk about another branch of quantum mechanics that's also very, very prominent in the in the upcoming uh, technological future is quantum computing, which is uh, supposed to be the fastest, greatest thing that's going to make computers godly and whatnot. Yeah, I've seen numerous articles saying, oh, quantum computer is the future and stuff. Let's start with how a classical computer works for now. Just just the basics. So I'm pretty sure you've heard of binary, the ones and zeros. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so a, ba- a computer basically runs on those two digits, ones and zeros, called binary. One is on and zero is off. So a normal computer bit can either be in the state of off or on, zero or one. And a quantum computer does not work like that. It's much different. Quantum atoms, in the other hand, can be either one or zero at the same time. They can coexist in this superpositional state and they're called qubits. So whereas a classical computer, the bit, bit is a piece of information, it can only be either one or zero, qubits can be both at the same time. An analogy to explain this very well would be a coin. So you know, if in the classical computer, a coin is either heads or tails. But in a in a quantum computer, the coin is not either heads or tails. It's a spinning coin, which is in the spinning state. We don't know whether it's one or zero as it's as it's spinning. Yeah, so in quantum qubits, they can exist in both states, as you said, like the coin, but you can't measure it. As we said in the last part, you can't, whenever there's an observer, it changes to either one or zero. But the best we could do, or we can do, is find the probability of where it's going to land. So, example, if the one is 80% and zero is 20%, but there's a possibility that can either go to one or zero when we observe it. So if you have this one classic computer bit, you can say it's either one or zero. So it has two pieces of information in that one bit. And now if you have two bits, now that you have four pieces of data in those two bits. Right. But in a qubit, because each qubit can exist in both ways, one or zero, one qubit would actually hold two bits of information. So it's holding more information than a classical bit. And actually, a crazy fact is that if you had 300 superpositioned qubits, you would have as much info and data as there are particles in the universe. But once again, well, there's a problem. We can't measure both superpositions, right? It would either fall in one or zero when observed. That's why scientists need to research a way to measure these qubits in their superpositional state so that it's useful to calculate things. So... You know, people usually think that quantum computers are the fastest thing ever and they're going to replace all our computers and stuff because they're super fast. And But that's actually not the case. Quantum computers are not actually the fastest things in every single process or thing that we need to do. So, for example, if you're watching a video or playing a game and you want super good graphics, quantum computers won't give you a drastic improvement. It might be even slower sometimes. Okay. And it's because of how the quantum computer works. Right. To make that make more sense, I'll use this analogy of McDonald's. Let's say that I'm trying to get food from a McDonald's and I have a quantum computer. I am a quantum computer. So that would make me get the McDonald's food faster than a classical computer. So basically the overall process of getting the food. But if I was a classical computer getting McDonald's food, it would take me faster to do each step to get the food 
but the overall time will be slower. So you're saying that classic, if you're a classical computer, the mini steps, like if, for example, getting to your phone, then finding the app, then ordering it, that would be faster, but overall it's slower. If you're a quantum computer, then overall the time taken to get the food is shorter. Exactly. But that that's that's quite contradictory though. Yeah, that's why it doesn't make sense. That's why quantum computer and the idea is so hard to wrap around. And yeah. it's basically, we don't know as much either, but scientists have huge and huge mathematical equations and everything to explain it. Right, and one of the other big weaknesses of quantum is that it is extremely fragile and their ability to stay in superposition is severely unstable. You know, radiation, light, sound, almost anything or any act of measurement of a qubit will throw it out of the superposition. So that's the problem with recording the superpositional state. Whenever you try to record, you're throwing it out of that state and you can't record it. However, the longest record for a qubit in superposition is 39 minutes. And that seems incredibly short. Jeez. But that amount that of time, well, th yeah, that is short. But in that amount of time, a qubit and a quantum computer could calculate more than two hundred million operations. So that's actually a huge time uh, for quantum that's computing. That's like ten times of our normal computers. Right, exactly. But scientists now just have to find a way to keep a superposition long enough and actually find a way to orientate the qubits to actually compute one mathematical problem. Well, this brings us to the ethical concerns of quantum computing, right? Everything has ethical concerns. Well, such as the encryption methods we use now, like hashing and all that stuff, and all the security measures, encryption, firewalls, they all will be useless. You know why? Because if quantum yeah, yeah. computers can calculate everything in milliseconds, they can try each single possibility in a second uh -huh, and destroy uh -huh. whatever security or anything that you have. That's really, that's honestly really interesting because that means quantum will really throw out all of our existing structures of doing everything in the digital world because everything can be broken down. All these security measures, everything that exists as of now will have to be completely revamped. I mean, I can't even begin to think how how big of a, a revamp our digital structure will need to accommodate quantum. Yeah, that's of just... course. It's gonna, it's gonna happen that these huge industries... They have to find whole new encryption methods. They have to find security measures all from scratch again. Just yeah. like how tech was in 100, 200 years ago. That's definitely very, very scary. And of course, it's going to change the industries in a good way too. Especially in space exploration. The main problem sometimes is that we lose connection or we lose control over things that are very far away. So let's say a space shuttle is outside course and NASA has no way to control it and they can use this quantum computer to calculate numerous and numerous ways of maneuvers triangulation methods on the how to retrieve it or how to make it land safely uh, in a millisecond so if if a uh, if like a rover outside in space loses connection to NASA you're saying that NASA can calculate ways to regain that connection much faster than it can now. Yeah. Basically, you know when humans, when something goes wrong, they're like, okay, let's try this, let's try this, let's try this. Yeah. That's not really the case in space. You only have one chance. Yeah. So this actually, the quantum computer can actually get get all the probabilities and everything in seconds. Yeah, yeah. And the, the tech world will be affected drastically. I mean, if we can get quantum G, you know, instead of 4G or 5G, if there's QG then we can all have ridiculous speeds. Everything in the world can be connected to everything. 
uh, AR, VR, automated transport will be at an all-time high. Everything will be efficient, um, and it's going to be absolutely crazy. Yeah, well, QG sounds funny, but imagine quantum and AI. Just yeah. imagine that. We can make AI superbots. Yeah, they, they, they can do so much learning. They can take all the knowledge in the world in seconds. But, you know, put that all aside, it's going to take years, if not decades, to even be possible to come up with such uh, stable quantum technology to be able to implement it. Um, and that really wraps it up for our quantum mechanics section. Uh, you know, at times the discussion has been quite unstable because there's so many things that it's impossible to, uh, to understand yeah, as students. Pretty complex topic right here. But it was really it was really eye-opening to see that this could really be an absolute game changer, even though it's extremely hard to implement, but this could really change things in a good and actually a very potentially dangerous way as well. It's one of those, definitely one of those sci-fi... Uh, plots yeah yeah like where everything gets destroyed and stuff but hopefully that doesn't happen and hopefully in the future well we can see quantum every day in lives and that wraps it up for our concept explained section now we're going to be moving on to the last segment of our podcast the mythbusters segment oh that's my favorite segment yeah and we're going to be debunking and decoding uh, some of the biggest myths in the tech world. So the first uh, MythBuster we have here is that online calling is not secure. So that's the first myth. And in the pandemic, uh, you know, for example, calling on Zoom or these online platforms, people thought that that was getting more and more unsecure over time. But that's actually not true. Apps like Zoom, Microsoft Teams, and Skype are all these online calling services which are actually more secure than traditional phones uh-huh. because they have computers backing them, all the internet encryption, firewall, and VPN, which the user doesn't have to do anything. It's actually the application just has it by default. Yeah, yeah. The power of a computer automatically enables encryption and uh, VPNs, firewalls already all enabled in that calling uh, over Zoom or Teams. So it's actually more secure than traditional calling. So the second topic for today's Mythbuster segment is... More expensive headphones are usually better in quality. Many people know it's not true, but we want to mention it anyways. Uh huh. And so people think that more the money you spend on something, the more satisfaction or quality you want from it. But it's actually not true. Many brands price their headphones based on their brand name, like Apple. Right. Their pricing is quite high. Right, and something that a lot of people don't really know at times is that often... Um, the price is not correlated directly with the quality, but it's correlated with how much they think consumers are willing to pay. And because a brand is a brand, they can extrapolate how much consumers are going to be willing to pay for something and price it that much. And in technology, this is not as prominent as it is in, for example, products like shoes. You know, for example, Nike shoes, it's not like they're massively better than other shoes. They are. Their quality is definitely better, but... You know, shoes that cost twenty thousand uh, or thirty thousand. You know, some really expensive ones. They're not priced because of the quality. Obviously, they're priced because Nike believes that that's how much consumers are willing to pay for that shoe. So that's that's how pricing is determined sometimes. And that brings us to the end of our MythBusters segment and to the end of our second episode. And hopefully, you liked the idea and the concept of quantum physics today. And hopefully, I didn't give you a headache. Well, it was pretty complicated, but it was really fun. Uh, Thanks for joining me here, Rahil. 
and uh, see you guys next week. Thank you. See you.